church planters in Tacoma, and I'm a pastor at the Indian Baptist Church for a little while, and um, now they're um, um, just continuing to seek the Lord um, with their church planting um, in Tacoma, and we're done with having to be in prayer for them. Uh, Mark chapter 2, um, verse 13. Says, and he went forth again by the seaside, and all the multitude resorted unto him, and he taught them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the receipt of custom, and said unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. And it came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat in his house, many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, How is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said unto them, They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Here we see that, you know, Jesus had taught the multitude, and then he came across Levi at a tax booth. Tax collectors were despised and hated just like they are today. You know, no one today thinks, hey, I just love my tax collector. Um, but back here, they would basically go to your house to house um, to collect your taxes. Um, they were considered on par with those who were considered great sinners, if not worse. Um, they were ranked as unclean animals. They were as swine, uh, um, and oftentimes even forbidden from going into the synagogue, particularly Roman tax collectors. Um, they could not give testimony in a Jewish court. Um, they were considered traitors because they worked for Rome, and they were depicted as liars, robbers, and even murderers. And Jesus comes up to Levi, tax collector, and he says, follow me. And immediately we see Levi ends up following him. Levi invited him to come to his home, prepared him with great feasts, and coming to the feast was other fellow tax collectors and other sinners. Sinners were noted for their sinful living, and so again, they lumped them up in with the same, and the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious people, rather than talking to Jesus directly, go to his disciples and say, Why? Why is your master sin and eat and drink with these people? Does he not know that these are great sinners? That they're tax collectors, uh, that um, would be harvest and want to miss when you compare to different parallel accounts, or other times Jesus was meeting with people and they would try to act like Jesus did not know any of this stuff when Jesus was very well aware. And uh, but I think it's noteworthy, they did not come and ask Jesus himself. They were just trying to kind of murmur, they just tried, trying to get his followers to go against following him. But Jesus overheard them, and he answered their question threefold. Uh, first, um, with human logic. He says, you know what, they're healthy. So they don't need to see a doctor. 
Um, the doctor that has spent the larger quantity of his time with those who are well, um, unless the ones going to be going for an annual checkup just in case, but typically those that are well and healthy don't usually go to the doctor. Um, the doctor's most often found among those people who are sick. And so he says, so even he um, came not to call the righteous, those that were in their own mind self-righteous, the Pharisees and the scribes that were copies of the scripture now. Uh, he wasn't going to call them, so to speak, because they were already self-righteous in their own pride. But he says he came to call sinners to repentance. Second, he used scripture. Um, if you look at the parallel account in Matthew chapter 9, Matthew 9 verse 12, it says, But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that behold need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So here again, um, this is the parallel synoptic gospel, another account of it. But here we see Jesus uh, appeals to scripture and, and talks about that, you know, it's sacrifice. You know what, it's really going to mean nothing here. Uh, that there's rather needs to be mercy. And he tells them, you know, you go research, you figure what that, figure that out, what that means. Um, uh, that God desires mercy, acts of compassion over vain ritual sacrifices. And without mercy, they prove themselves to be more ungodly than the despised tax collectors and sinners. Even more direct was the point that the quotation was from Hosea. Um, it is the story of Gomer's unfaithfulness to her husband, Hosea, who was a living illustration of Israel's own unfaithfulness to God. Um, and we see Hosea continue to love and forgive Gomer, and it is Gomer was a prostitute, would be with many um, different men, and then he would continue to provide for her financially um, behind the scenes and continue to reach out to her even though she kept going after other lovers. And it pictured and showed that Israel committed whoredoms, adultery against God and, put, and going after all these pagan idols, but yet God still showed mercy and forgiveness toward Israel. And just as God didn't desire mercy rather than sacrifice, he still did. Third, he chose his divine authority. He had already demonstrated uh, the power to forgive sin. Um, again, he came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And he had the power to forgive sin. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they, they complained, they were like, Who can forgive sins but God only? And he said, What's easier to say? <laughs> Take up thy bed and walk, or thy sins be forgiven thee? Either way. So, like, you know, your sins are forgiven. And so Jesus showed he had divine authority, and he was able to reach out to these sinners, these publicans and to come to call them to repentance. 
Our mission is a church. It's not let's hope Christians visit our church and like your preacher better. Our mission is to go to sinners, show them compassion, telling them how they could come to repentance and faith toward Jesus Christ, how they could have eternal life. Our mission isn't simply to try to get people from other churches. Okay? Our mission is to lead people to Christ ourselves with the power of the Spirit of God, but as being the vehicle as far as the spokesperson of the gospel and the Spirit of God working on their heart through the teaching of the Word of God and come to faith in Christ. Um, a pastor friend of mine, he was in lying in the register at Target some years ago, and he met a young lady who had um, lots of ear piercings. She had like six, seven piercings in her ears, uh, big ones, small ones, uh, a couple in her lips, a few in her nose, and just, just a lot. And you know, me personally, you know, the single one in the nose, that to me, I think it's a Okay? That's just my personal opinion. I think it distracts from the natural beauty. However, um, it, this is what the preacher said to him. He said, uh, and he was in the checkout, and he introduced himself as the pastor of First Baptist Church in town, invited her to come visit, and said, come see us. We'll be nice to you. And then her countenance changed, and she was shocked. And she's like, thanks. Most pastors aren't. Maybe it's like me, think they're up, okay? But you know, I see some pastors are just kind of maybe more like, ew, gross, and, and then don't even show condition for their soul for Christ. And when the pastor asked him, he said, so why? Well, why aren't most pastors nice to you? And she just goes like, this is this. And so, and then he was just saddened by that, that, that Christians would condemn someone because of piercings on their face before they even tell them that God loves them, that God is there um, for them, um, before they um, explain how Christ died for their sins, um, they, um, to, they let them know they don't approve of their appearance. And so I actually asked this a cool question. Why do some, a lot of people want to get those piercings? Uh, do they think it's more attractive? Do they think men find it more attractive? Uh, and I'm just interested in a lot of different people's um, answers. But you know, we gotta be careful of, even no matter what our opinions are about something, whether we approve or disapprove of something, these are people that need Jesus. The people that need to know who he is that need to know salvation. There are four ways we can respond to lost people that we meet. Number one could be with aggression. We reject a person in order to confront the problem. From the get-go, we feel we must let them know that we disapprove of their lifestyle and behavior. Now, this doesn't mean we don't preach against sin. You know, we come to church, and sometimes the messages are going to be more of a rebuke, a reproof against sin, and we need that. Okay? I'm talking about our everyday, you know, like you're walking down on the street with someone, and say you see someone committing a sin or looking someone you don't approve of, you know, your purpose isn't to go and just tell them that. Man, how wicked you are. Um, you know, what, what are you doing all these um, drugs for? Why are you doing this to your body? Uh, you know, that's not 
our purpose, but that's how some people will respond. They just look in disgust toward the sinner. And that's what we see the Pharisees and the scribes doing. They were disgusted that here Jesus considered a rabbi, considered a master with many disciples. And here he's with sinners. Here he's with people that the community even despised. Even perhaps the non-religious community would look down on the tax collectors. Not just religious people. Everybody looked down on the tax collectors and, and, and despised them. And they're like, you know, I can't believe your master would sit and eat and fellowship and drink with these people. It was a common response in John chapter 8 when you see the woman brought, that was brought to Jesus who had been taken in adultery. Where's the man? Why, well, why didn't they grab the man? You know, why, 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 why did they just go after the woman? Maybe, maybe one of the men was them. We, 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 don't, we don't know. Um, um, that's just much speculation, but I do find it curious. Why did they just go after the woman? Um, but they brought her not for the purpose of getting things right or restoration, but only for the purpose of condemnation. That's the only reason. You know, right? you know, you should cast the stone. You know, Moses in the law wrote that those that committed adultery would be um, cast with stones. And again, that would be both the man and the woman. Um, but this was their attitude of Jesus eating in Levi's house with publicans and sinners. Like, why would you do that? Another friend of mine who was in, in college Watch the street preacher give the gospel message. He was street preaching um, at a bus stop, and he admired his um, courage. He stood by um, to give him encouragement, which is like, wow, you know, I wish I had the kind of boldness to just be preaching in the open air. And he's preaching the gospel, clear gospel message. But then you notice um, a couple of teenagers, uh, you know, one the teen teen boys um, grab one of the teen girls around and um, give her a hug, a cuddle, and then immediately the preacher interrupted his message, and instead of preaching the gospel, did a discourse on David and Bathsheba and said, get your hands off of her! You know, you're going to become an adultery like David if you don't watch it. Now that couple understood his position on why men shouldn't touch women before they're married, but now they missed the gospel message. They missed what was needed most. Whatever good he had done by preaching the gospel had been completely erased by his aggressive attack. And again, I'm not saying preaching against sin, it's just being an aggressive attack. You see, prophets old, prophets new, pastors new, who preach against sin. Okay? But this is, this is, he just interrupted the gospel message just to attack them personally. And you know, I think a lot of us maybe have seen them personally. You know, you see sometimes people standing at a street corner holding signs of condemnation um, rather than using their efforts to give the gospel um, of Christ to people. You know, I remember when I first came here as a pastor, like just a few months later, you know, we had someone on this street corner 
uh, little signs of condemnation and stuff. And I uh, you know you're going to hell and all, all this kind of stuff, all these signs. And they would quote Bible verses. You know, some of what they were stating um, could be true, uh, would be true. You know, it wouldn't be true of every single person that grew up by. Not everyone's going to hell because some people are saved, amen. But, you know, you know what? That method, you know, all they're trying to do is bring condemnation. There wasn't anything that said, like, believe on Christ and you'll have mine. Uh, nothing like that. It was just all condemnation. And right above um, them, it was a banner saying, we welcome Pastor Jason Salings and Napa Vine Baptist. And so we've just been there a few months. I'm like, people are going to think that's me um, out there. And so I went and approached him, asked him, said, hey, you know what, I get it. It's the public sidewalk, so your First Amendment rights. But you know, you know, I just became pastor here. I don't personally believe this is the best, best event, but you at least maybe go across the street and stuff. He's like, oh, we're getting ready to go anyways. And I'm thankful they did go. But see some people who respond to sinners by aggressive attacks. I don't think that's going to be the best method for reaching people. Now, yes, there, the Bible does talk about how, um, you know, if some say uh, by snatching out a fire, hating the garment, spotted by the flesh, and in a message in the church, you know, that someone could be preaching a hard message against sin, and people be convicted of that. That's different, though, than just going on a one-on-one and then boom, just trying to blast people. <clears throat> Remember another man who was newly saved and began growing in Christ. Had an extra long hair. Now, the Bible talks about, says, you know, it's a shame unto a man to have long hair. Okay? But again, Paul also said, you know, whether it be any dispute or anything, or um, division, you know, we have no custom. You know, that this isn't our focus, this isn't our, 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 our rodeo, so to speak. Um, and a member of the church went to that new Christian, though, and then instead of congratulating him on his decision to trust Christ, he told him, you need a haircut. But after hearing his testimony of salvation, he just told him, you need a haircut. Pastor heard of what happened later that morning. And at the evening service, he retold what he had heard happen. And he said, Now, whosoever said that needs to have his tongue cut instead of a haircut. He his tongue cut. Okay, so being aggressive, overly aggressive. We should be aggressive in the sense of being bold to be a witness, bold to share our faith. But aggressive attacks usually do not bring people to Christ. Nor do they typically encourage spiritual growth. Another thing we wait to respond is avoidance. You can avoid sinners. You don't say a word to them. That's what, again, the Pharisees kind of did besides attacking them. They want to avoid them. They're telling Jesus, avoid them. You know, they don't, don't be, he shouldn't even be around them. God forbid we get stuck in a conversation with a sinner. What are we going to talk about? It doesn't look like we have anything in common. And actually, we do. You know, we're sinners just like they are. Um, you, know, you know, maybe um, there is some commonalities. Maybe someone lost a father at a young age, and maybe you 
wounded and they're hurting and they're responding a different way and they need someone to tell them they're heavenly father. Some people could respond, I don't want that kind of person coming to our church. Or when we see someone in church that loves God, one that seems like they have an addiction problem, we try not to make eye contact. Um, we don't freak and we quickly maybe say hello and move on. And to be honest, you know, just this last week, my wife and I were downtown Portland, walking out in the dark of night. It's very creepy out there in Portland there. You know, we're walking down and there's a guy just kind of out of the rain and he's just hunched over like this. And then we come back like 40 minutes, 30 minutes later, and he's still there. And my intention, my focus was trying to get my wife from destination A to destination B safely and without incident. That was my motive. Okay? But at the same time, you know what? There needs to be a place where we're really trying to reach these people. Okay? Maybe me and maybe another man go out or maybe do some outreach efforts in Portland or maybe partner with another church in a big city where we try to show compassion to these people instead of avoidance. There's a time again for discerning and acting accordingly. You know, we've got to watch behind sometimes people with kind of suspiciously dumb walk right or close behind us. And so I understand, you know, you're doing what you need to do to be safe. We need to be careful we don't get our hearts hardened for these people. You know, and these are people, you know, it's someone's son, someone's daughter. You know, maybe there's someone praying for their salvation in particular. Um, or maybe they just had a rough um, upbringing themselves and they, the whole family needs to be saved. But we need to make sure we're not simply avoiding people. Another way people could respond to the lost sinners is act with sense and this response. We simply ignore the problem in order to reach the person. This view holds that we should never do or say anything that would make an individual uncomfortable or unhappy. All behavior is considered acceptable because we want to reach them. We don't want to do or say anything that might bring conviction, otherwise they might leave the church. You know, that preacher, he just won't teach on anything that's considered controversial because he doesn't want to lose people or place people in leadership that is not in the spiritual place of growth or maybe they should be in leadership. You have that approach of the Corinthians when they allow the man who was sleeping with his stepmother to remain in full fellowship of the church. Paul condemned the sin and he condemned the church um, he held him to an account that said, you should not be allowing this to go on. This needs to be dealt with. He didn't beat around the bush. He said, no, this is sin in the camp, and it cannot keep on going on. And then we do see by his next letter, there was repentance, and there was restoration. In a book, a new evangelical pastor wrote about two men who were in the church, um, Brent, Brent um, just kind of came to church, knew they sung uh, or were part of a rock group or something, and asked them to sing a duet. And one of them was wearing a t shirt um, advertising Budweiser and had swear words all over it. And the author explained that, well, this would have been a problem in most churches. It was merely a mild amusement in this non judgmental church. 
Um, and so in, in other words, in order to reach people, the philosophy went, we must acquiesce to some things with which we may not agree. And by following this philosophy, Bible teachers have been allowed to continue teaching even right after an adulterous affair. You know, there's oftentimes been abuse in the church, child abuse, and cover-ups where they would send them over to another church and say, you know, we need to protect the testimony of our church and we'll send them somewhere else or get them right with God. No, someone that's committed child abuse is disqualified from ministry forever and should not be in the pulpit again. And so, Jephal even says, you know, in the household of God, in the church, we are to judge. Okay? Now, we are to judge. Now, God's going to judge those without, but in the church, we need to have discernment. And the church, not in the sense that we're condemning people, but that we're trying to make the right decisions, that we're trying to help each other and ourselves to grow spiritually, to have good judgment. To have discernment that in the end days we're going to judge angels in what that all means I don't know I don't understand that what the Bible says that believers we will judge angels whose job is it to bring conviction see some preachers have said you know oh it's not my job to try and bring conviction and so they'll ask the question Whose job is it to bring conviction? Is it the Holy Spirit's or is it the preacher's job? The answer is yes. You know, to both. You know, the Bible says the Holy Spirit reproves, um, that he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. The word of God reproves. You know, it says all scripture is given by inspiration of God, profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And then in 2 Timothy 4, 2, the preacher is told to reprove and rebuke. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, and sort with all long-suffering and doctrine. And so the Holy Spirit is to fill the preacher. The preacher opens the word of God, delivers convicting sinners to the congregation. So in a way, we're all to be able to bring about conviction of reproof when needed. God did not tell preachers to simply preach generically. That um, he, his preachers were to preach, preach straight out of the Bible. You know, I had a preacher tell me just a few weeks ago, or actually a few months ago now, that, um, no, I never preach against divorce. I just preach generically. Okay? We're still supposed to preach what the Word of God says. And I understand that people go through divorce and we want to be at help, we want to be able to be a support, and most people going through a divorce, often will say, no, yes, preacher, I'm against divorce too. Okay? They, they hate the harsh hardship that it has brought um, in their family, and you know, the preacher does not hate someone going through a divorce. Okay? We reach out. Just like a preacher does not hate the drunkard that he is trying to reach, trying to give the gospel to, or trying to help him overcome his drunkenness and try to help him get victory to live with the Lord. This preacher was like, I don't preach against specific sins. I just preach we shouldn't sin. It's not what we find in the Bible. We see in the Bible, you know, you see John the Baptist preaching it, and, and he says that 
um, to her that you know the the woman that you're with is not your is not your wife. That is your brother's wife. That he preached specifically on what the sins were. You see, throughout the Old Testament, the prophets preaching against idolatry. He didn't just say, "Hey, you know what? We shouldn't sin." There's specific sins that are preached against. And so we shouldn't just act with sins sin and be like, it's all okay, it doesn't matter. But in doing, it, in doing that, we need to make sure we're seeing the people's need for the gospel. You know, the Bible talks about some do the work of the Lord deceitfully, wrong motives, wrong reasons for filthy lucre sin or for power. Jeremiah 48.10 says, Cursed be he that doeth the word of the Lord deceitfully, and cursed be he that keepeth back his sword from blood. It's basically telling the preacher that, you know, the preacher that he's doing the work of the Lord, but it's just always just positive, motivational messages. It's just, and we see different instances where, you know, where we see of Ahab, where uh, they go and ask of a prophet. They ask a bunch of prophets. You know, is God going to give us the victory in this? And all the prophets write, yes, God is just going to give it right to you in your hands. Who was it, Jehoshaphat, I believe it was? Um, said no. Um, or maybe Jehoshaphat. I might be characters confused. But, um, one of them goes, you know what? Oh yeah, I wish it was fake. goes, okay, Ahab goes, you know what? Is there another prophet that we could inquire of? Is there another? Um, or no, someone's asking this. And then Ahab goes, yeah, there is another one. I'm um, Ahab, but I hate him. And then Joseph's like, you don't say. Now come on, well, who, who is this guy? And he tells him, and he says, he only prophesies Doom and judgment, and this is speak smooth, encouraging words. And he's like, hey, no, let's go inquire of a man of God. We want to hear what a man of God says, not just someone that's just going to tell us what we want to hear. And they go and get them. Mikai says, no, judgment's going to happen to them. They're going to be defeated. No wonder Ahab That's what the Bible says in the latter days, and I believe we're end up. Ladder of the latter days getting pretty close, um, if not there already, where people don't want to endure sound doctrine. They don't want to hear preaching against sin. They want to have their ears tickled um, to itch. They, they want to hear good, positive things. Um, but here again, the Bible says, Cursed be he that keepeth back his sword from blood. And you know, the Bible says, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Hebrews 4 12 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You know, the word of God is the preachers, it's the Christian's sword. We are to declare, we are to use it, not to hold back, not to apologize for God. And when we teach or preach or, or say something or say, you know what, that lifestyle is, we got to be affirming. No, we're to preach the word of God. 
let the word of God do its work. One way you know one is in the ministry for the wrong reason is because there is no blood on his sword. Preachers ought to be willing to draw the sword and get some blood on the sword. There ought to be some conviction. There ought to be people that aren't always speaking well of the preacher. You know, you have someone in the church that says something bad about me, or someone else that's preaching in the, from pulpit or teaching a Sunday school class. You know what? Most likely it's good that someone's saying something bad. You know what Jesus said? Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you. For so did their fathers to the false prophets. When everybody just loves you. There's probably something wrong. Aggression and avoidance allows no room for growth. And acquiescence promotes no growth at all. But there is a fourth response, which is the scriptural way to love a person while still standing for truth and against sin. And that's the sense of acceptance. Again, I'm not meaning affirmation. Someone's in sin, you don't affirm and congratulate them for their sin. Okay? But you accept them as an individual, as Jesus here was with the sinners, with the publicans, understood them to be people that were sinners that needed to come to repentance of faith toward Jesus Christ. This was the method used by Jesus with the woman in the well. He has um, accepted her, engaged with her in conversation. He wasn't aggressive in attacking her. He wasn't avoiding dealing with the issue at hand. You know what? Jesus said, I'll go get your husband. She's like, I have no husband. And Jesus doesn't backpedal, says, you know, yeah, you, you've answered correctly. You don't have a husband. You've had five husbands, and the one you're living with now is not your husband. And then she perceived that Jesus was the prophet. She understood there was something that this man she never met, and all of a sudden he knew all of her life. He knew her story. But he still engaged with her, and he asked her for a drink of water. Ask a sinner, drink of water. <coughs> no, no. How can you accept a drink of water from she that is a sinner? He asked questions that gave him opportunity that did involve confronting her sin, but to find real help. Acceptance does not indicate approval, but it is a heart to reach out to people. Family comes to our church, very sharp, modest. Here in the King James Bible, and then another couple walks in, you look rough, tattoo-covered, body pierced, dressed sloppy, or not quite modest. Both families should be greeted with the same smile, the same handshake, and the same heartfelt welcome. James says we sin when we greet the one in the gay apparel, meaning the, the fancy um, material, fancy clothing. When we greet them with respect over the one that's perceived as a poor man, we sin when we greet the wealthy better than the poor, or those that we think are well-to-do compared to those we see as sinners. Sure, Bible doesn't approve of marking your Bible with tattoos, cutting the flesh by excessive body piercing, and 
doesn't approve of immodesty. However, all should have the opportunity to come, hear the word of God, teach and preach, and should have Christians that are loving them and showing them that God loves them. Those who experience immediate rejection may never be open to God's correction in their lifestyle. Acceptance means that we love the individual because God loves them, welcome them to our fellowship, provide for them an environment for spiritual growth. People need to know that while they are growing, they are with people who love them. Bible talks about use hospitality toward one another without grudging. Have visitors, church members over to lunch Sunday afternoons. Get people connected with others. Former Congressman J.C. Watts said this, Compassion can't be measured in dollars and cents, but there is a price tag. The price tag is love. There is a shortage of love in this world. Many will fight for various causes, rights, federal programs, but who's going to love the people? Who's going to show genuine love? Modeling the model is even greater than your preaching. The model can even greater than your preach can, can have a greater influence on people's lives. What you model in life. Dennis is a man I met. He told me about a research project he was involved in in Seattle, at Fruitcrest School in Seattle. And it was a school of developmental disabilities. They were doing research to see how they could um, teach those with particular disabilities um, how to eat, um, how, how, how to drink properly, how, how to improve their um, hand eye coordination, and, and just how to take care of their own hygiene and so what they did was they paid um, for the teachers to have lunch and sit with them at lunchtime in the cafeteria and they, and they would eat with these disabled people um, some of them were physically disabled some of them were mentally disabled and they would just eat with them spend time with them and they noticed that behavior was improving that, that, that they were starting to repeat how they would eat their lunch. And then they did, did another experiment. They said, okay, let's, let's not give them, let's not have the teachers or the um, staff eat with them, but let's just teach them. Let's train them. This is how you eat. This is how you drink. This is how you take care of your hygiene. And then things started to fall apart. They, they no longer were functioning like they were functioning when they had someone modeling them with them. The school or the state's decision was that they didn't want to have to pay for staff lunches, so they continued to try to teach the students from behind instead of by example. They didn't learn from their own experiment. They saw how the people learned. They did not want to pay for the teachers' lunches or the staff lunches. So they started to do it differently, and it was not working. People learn best by example compared to just giving directions. What we do in life matters. The goal we're trying to reach often takes sacrifice. When we take the way of ease, we often won't get the results we're looking for. God's grace leads to 
Romans 2, 4 says, Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? So was it just all judgment? This was mercy, the goodness of God. People were even rejecting that. But God offered goodness, offered that, and Jesus didn't sin to reach people, but he did show grace and mercy. He ministered to sinners, and yet was separate from sinners in a sense at the same time. Hebrews 7, 26 says, For such a high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. Separate from sinners. But yet we see Jesus here with the sinners. That he was separate from the sinners and that he was separate from sin. He was forever holy. And, um, as the Bible says here, Jesus was holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. And yet we see Jesus be and drink with sinners. Jesus didn't live like the sinners, but he did spend time with them. Lord Jesus was the holiest man any sinner had ever met, but he was willing to be with the worst people of town. He never condoned their wicked ways, actually he called them to repent. He was separate from sinners in that his life was blameless and his stand was very clear um, for right and against wrong, but he never stayed away from them. Rather, he went among them in order to win. This combination of a holy life and an evangelistic attitude is always powerful to the winning of the lost. Back in Mark 2, verse 17. When Jesus heard it, he said unto them, They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repent. Notice that verse right here. You know, he wasn't telling them to affirm their sinful lifestyle. He wasn't telling them to congratulate them in their sin. Simply goes, no, we're not to be condemning, to be judging. Okay, you know, the Bible says, you know, when you see a, even a brother fall, consider thyself lest uh, you also be tempted. Okay, you know that you're only, but it says, he calls but sinners to repent. Matthew 9, 12, verse 13. But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Okay. Two verses right here key on repentance. Jesus wasn't here to affirm. But he was to call him, come follow after me. And he called only like, follow after me. And that involved repentance. Now, if you're used to the modern Bible, they take repentance out of both of these verses. Is there some conspiracy about that? I don't know. Maybe. You know, a society where repentance does not want to be um, preached. We want to not tell people to take up their cross and follow me, um, to repent 
and to follow Christ. But it is pretty key that you know what you have the King James and the older versions. The older English verses before the King James, they say to repentance. But you have to have the newer ones, the NIV ESV, completely omit to repentance. Just says, but sinners. I think there's something to that. But we see Jesus was willing to spend time in Levi's home and have dinner with him and his friends, co-workers, and he ended up being one of Jesus' disciples, one of his apostles. Our compassion is stirred when we let ourselves see the needs of people. Matthew 9:36 says, But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on Jesus saw the needs of the people and was moved with compassion. He saw their souls, the hurt in their hearts, their desperate need for salvation, and he was moved to compassion. Lamentations 3.51 says, Mine eye affected mine heart because of all the daughters of my city. Jesus said, Look up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. There's a need there. People need the gospel. We are not running short on people that need to be saved. You know, you know when we see all the sinners out there, okay, we're not like, okay, well, you know, the pastor just needs to retire. We've reached them all. No, there's so many out there, okay? We need to be reaching people. The Bible does say one day the day will come when no man will say, Know the Lord, for all will know me. You know, when we're in heaven, you know, everyone's going to know the Lord in heaven. You won't be able to reach new people then. Now is the time to show compassion, to spend time with sinners. And now you need to be able to exercise discernment. Where you're at in your spiritual maturity. Yes, there are sometimes in case where maybe it's not going to be healthy for a Christian to spend time with someone if you're going to be the one being brought in. If someone has a past or history where they struggle with alcohol themselves, it's probably not going to be best if they go to a drinking party with their friend. Okay? Now, personally, myself, Okay? That's not an issue I struggle with. Not saying I don't have any other struggles, but that's not a struggle I have. And so I'll go to barbecues where I know there's going to be alcohol and some people may be going to get drunk. Okay? It's not going to affect me in a way except for like saying, hey, you know what? People need Christ. People need to, are already saved. You know what? They need to grow in their timing as God brings conviction in their heart. They don't need condemnation from me. Okay? And there may be a different weakness that you have, that you need to be careful with what type of people you're with. But either way, to focus on growing yourself so you could reach sinners for Christ. Jesus did not neglect to spend time with them. Jesus displayed compassion when he was suffering. When he was thirsty, he gave the water of life to the woman at the well. When he was tired, he fed the multitudes. And when Christ was crucified for our sins, he forgave his executioner. Jesus faced weariness from long dates of ministry, criticism for well-doing 
temptation while physically exhausted, sorrow after the death of a friend, and betrayal by a man who spent three years is his disciple. He knew every kind of tragedy and pain we would endure, and he had compassion to bear our penalty of our sin. Not just the sins of them, our own sins. Now expect to be criticized, we'll close with this, expect to be criticized when you're sold out to bringing sinners to Christ. Expect to be said of you that you get carried away too much when God is at work, so are the critics. Okay, remember that. God's at work, so will the critics. While Jesus spent himself to help and heal wherever he went, there were those who criticized him. When he ate with Levi and the publicans, their scribes and Pharisees murmured against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with publicans? Your master eat with publicans and sinners. In Matthew 9, when Jesus healed a man possessed, this was a great day in this man's life. But the Pharisees blasphemed Jesus, saying, He cast about devils through the prince of devils. When Jesus cast out the devils from the maniac of Gadir, the people begged Jesus to leave. Matthew chapter 9. Jesus cast devils out of people, and people became sane. And they begged for Jesus to leave. It's like they want to have a mental asylum. They want to have where people are demon possessed, took away their business by healing people. Christ like compassion continues even when we are criticized and should. D.L. Moody was called Crazy Moody because he wasn't ashamed to share the gospel with everyone he met, friend or stranger. When Willem Carey pled the cause of missions to a group of ministers, one of those ministers shouted, Young man, sit down! When God pleases to convert the even, he will do it without your aid or mine. Thankfully for the heathen, Carrie still went to India to preach the gospel. He saw there was some there's a need all around us. Let's be people that are dining with sinners. Not sinning with sinners, but dining with them. We are but one of them. We are all sinners. Okay? We're simply saved by the grace of God. And if it wasn't for God's grace and you receiving it, be in the same condition as they are. Oh, I see their lives transformed, and the Spirit of God use you in your life. Dear Heavenly Father, I just pray, Lord, that you help me to be a better model, Lord, in bringing people to Christ. I pray, Lord, that for our Wednesday nights as we teach on reaching people, we pray, Lord, that we'll become contagious and that we'll um, be on fire for you in reaching others with the gospel. Help us, Lord, when people that visit, attend our church, attend your church, that we're not being judgmental, that we're not avoiding them, that we're not aggressive against them, that we're not accusing or even condoning the sin, but that we accept that they are a sinner in need of the grace of God. Help us to be a bold witness for you in Jesus' name. God bless you. If you didn't grab a bulletin, be sure to grab a bulletin on your way out. Um, and you'll have several announcements on.